Hey, everybody, and welcome to Learning from Smart People. I am your host, Rob Oliver. And again, thank you for taking some time to spend, spend some quality time here learning from smart people. My smart person guest today is Michael Dermer. He is better known as the lonely entrepreneur. He runs a website. And listen, let me tell you what the lonely entrepreneur is all about. It is a place that helps entrepreneurs with the number one issue we all face, the struggle. We know what it's like to feel energized and overwhelmed all at the same time. And the lonely entrepreneur provides knowledge, tools, and ongoing support for businesses globally. Michael, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, let, let's start kind of with your backstory, if you don't mind, because um, you weren't, well, let's just start. You weren't always kind of an entrepreneur. You were, you were doing a, a bunch of other stuff. So let's start way back, um, way back and tell us kind of where you started and, and we'll go from there. Yeah. Um, thanks for having me. You know, I, I started my career as a mergers and acquisitions lawyer. I went to Bucknell University and Northwestern Law School, worked for a large New York law firm. And, um, you know, I literally, I was there for three years and I, you know, was kind of itching to start a business. You know, I was more of a business guy than a law guy. And, um, but I was, you know, I was poking around and I literally stumbled upon the business that I started. I was, you know, out to dinner one night with a bunch of friends. And one of my buddy's wives was pregnant and she said, do you know, for every 10 women that don't follow their prenatal care, it costs the healthcare system a million dollars. And you're like, what do you mean? And I was like, why wouldn't you just pay these people? Why wouldn't you just pay these people to do what you wanted them to do if it saved money? And, and that was kind of, as they said, the beginning of the end, started poking around and started, left <clears throat> my law job and started what got to be known as the first company in the US to reward people for being healthy um, in the early 2000s. Fantastic. And so you, <clears throat> start, you start this business and things are going well and you're expanding and then calamity hits. T tell me what happened to kind of... Um, turned everything upside down? Well, you know, it's interesting because it actually didn't go so well. You know, when we first started the business, people said, we are never going to reward people for being healthy. We are never going to reward people for doing the things they should be doing. So we fought for the better part of five years to evangelize this concept. Then from 06 to 08, we grew like crazy, you know, venture capital back. So, you know, in 08, we had kind of, you know, made it um, and really had created a brand new category in healthcare. Um, and we were venture capital backed and we were trying to decide what we we're going to do at that point. And, you know, all of our clients were the biggest companies in America. And then the financial crisis hit and what we built basically in 10 years almost got destroyed in 10 days. You know, all of our clients were the biggest companies in America, um, countrywide financial general motors and Washington mutual were our three biggest clients and two didn't exist about a month later. And we all know GM needed a bailout. So we went from being on top of the world to literally trying to save this business we had built for 10 years. Wow. And so you're struggling with this and this leads you to kind of this concept of the, the lonely entrepreneur. Tell me where you came up with the idea. And, and I mean, I love the, I love the title, but tell us a little bit about that. So, you know, after the financial crisis hit, we battled and scrapped and clawed and, you know, robbed Peter to pay Paul. And really through the work of a bunch of hard you know, bunch of people over the course of a couple of years, we kind of stabilized and built it back up and, and ultimately got approached and, and sold it. So it worked out great, but it was an incredibly wild ride. And after that experience, um, you know, building a company, saving it, selling it, 
I wasn't really planning on doing anything next. You know, I was fortunate to sell a company and I was literally just in New York where I live, you know, helping entrepreneurs for fun. And one of them said to me, being an entrepreneur is really lonely. And I was like, hmm, it's interesting, but kind of forgot about it. And then I was walking down the street with a friend of mine in Union Square and I said, lonely entrepreneur. And he goes, what'd you just say? And I said, lonely entrepreneur. And he said, that's it. I go, what do you mean? He goes, that's what we all share is the struggle. And I was like, okay. And he literally dragged me into Starbucks and he yelled, who here is a lonely entrepreneur? And like everybody put their hand up and I was like, okay. And that was it. And then, you know, um, that was the beginning of the end, as they said. And, but for me, you know, my desire was not to write a book and stand in front of 20 people. My desire was that, you know, this stuff was happening across the dinner tables in America. And I really wanted to get tools in the hands of people to help them turn their passion to success. So we built this, this platform that you described before. And uh, that was the, the beginning of the end, as they say. Yeah. So it's interesting that you say this because that loneliness happens on so many different levels. Even yeah. your, your experience of having this vision of getting, rewarding people for being healthy and that feeling of loneliness in which you, you're passionate about this and yet you can't get anyone to buy in on right. what's going on. And that's the start of it. So then you, you know, you finally build this up and then all of a sudden you have this lonely feeling of the financial crisis hit, and now I'm out here all by myself. All my clients are gone that there is so many different levels of loneliness. Can you share with us a little bit, either from your own experience or from the experience of some of the folks that you work with, what are those different areas in which people are experiencing that loneliness? You know, it's so interesting because, you know, there aren't too many other areas of life that implicate so much of your being, right? It's your personal, professional, ego, emotional, financial, family, like everything is implicated by an entrepreneurial venture. And so across that, exactly as you said, there are things that go related to just getting your idea off the ground, other people doubting, talking with family members, investors, you know, the first time an investor says they don't like your pitch, it's like somebody called your baby ugly, right? right. And so there's all of this stuff. And I don't think it's literally lonely. I think when you put the word next to lonely entrepreneur, it's just the struggle, right? It's just the, the steps along the way, but they are numerous. And, you know, there isn't a map, right? Everybody says, somebody will say to me, sometimes they'll go, well, if I could just blank, right? If I could just have capital, if I could just but if you ask 20 people, their blank would all be different. Sure. And so it implicates so many different things. So there's, you know, there's struggle along that way. Yeah. And it's interesting. I've, I've heard the concept of being in business for yourself, not by yourself. Yeah. Um, and that there is, a, you know, and sometimes there is that loneliness that comes with, you know, my family members, they've got the steady job and they, they go to work and they, they have the paycheck and they know what's, and here I am and things are up and down for me. And I, you know, things change and there is that, but no, I really, I really think that you're hitting on the key element. It's a struggle. It's, it's a continuous battle. And so as you're looking at this struggle and you're, you're helping entrepreneurs, as you said, for fun, what are the kind of things that entrepreneurs are looking for? You said, you know, a lot of them are, you know, if only I could blank is, are you finding that every entrepreneur has a different blank or are there oftentimes recurring themes that are coming up in it? Yeah, there's definitely recurring themes that come up in it because there's lots and lots of people that have talent or an idea, right? So, and that's very different from having a business, 
right? So I think one of the hardest things for entrepreneurs is that they don't know what it's supposed to look like. Like when you go and buy a car, you know that it's supposed to have tires and a steering wheel and, and a motor. You don't know that about an entrepreneurial venture if you're a technologist or a doctor or a fashionista or whatever it is. So when they don't have that context of all the pieces, that becomes really hard. I think one of the most important things that entrepreneurs face now is, you know, right now, even before COVID, there was hyper competition in every arena. And, and everybody perceived even pre-COVID, you could get things for really, really, really cheap, if not free, right? Right. Um, after COVID, that's been exacerbated, right? There's even more competition because now, you know, the yoga studio doesn't just compete with the yoga studio down the street. They compete with the yoga studio in Shanghai, right? Right. And now there's so many people chasing the same dollars, right, that you could literally get everything for free. So I think the biggest thing now for entrepreneurs is what we call it, lonely entrepreneur, finding a playground where nobody else is playing. You really have to find a go-to-market space where it's just you, where you literally define it and you fill that void and it becomes you because people don't pay attention. There's too much clutter and, and competition and you can always get it for free. So there's these kind of go-to-market approaches around finding a playground where nobody else is playing and establishing a certain know-how where nobody can compete with you because you have a know-how that even if somebody gave it away for free, you could never lose to. So these are obviously much more complicated conversations than just this, but it's the finding the playground and standing out amongst this competitive world that I think is the most challenging things that entrepreneurs will face, certainly post, post COVID. Okay. I, I think I'm understanding what you're talking about in finding a playground where no one else is playing. Is that for lack of a better term, super niching? where you're, you're finding, you're finding a place where it's just you in that area, or is there more to it than that? Well, it, super niche can be one technique. So for example, take my old business, rewarding people for being healthy. There were tons of loyalty programs out there, right? Credit card, airline, hotel, all these loyalty programs. All we did was apply it to healthcare. Okay. Right. So, and we became an N of one, right? So it was just one of those things where, right? It was only us and then you define it. So it might be positioning, it might be niching, it might be the way you go to market. I mean, there's a million different ways, but at the end of the day, you've got to be able to do it. And think about, think about Starbucks, right? Starbucks is frankly a really silly concept. When it started, the world didn't lack coffee, right? Where I live in New York City, there's coffee on every corner. It's actually pretty good and it costs probably a buck 75. And Starbucks said, we're going to bring more coffee. We're going to put a store on every corner and billions of dollars of real estate. We're going to charge four bucks. Right. right. And oh, by the way, if we don't sell any coffee, right, we're stuck with all this real estate. But what they did do, the playground they created was that they, they created a community. They said, come here, just hang out, meet here. Right. So I think that, that super niching is part of it, but and a lot of times the, the way you find this playground isn't so linear because if it was linear, everybody would do it. Right. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. And you're, you're finding it a way in which you're doing it and you're doing it in, you're doing it in your way and what, and your way, your way stands out. And that, that's cool. I, and, and I think also you get to define it, right? Cause if you're playing by everybody else's rules, 
right? You have, we're all entrepreneurs, right? You have less capital and less resources, but if you define it, you, as we like to say, we defi- you define the speed limit in your country, right? And, and you get to know it, you define it, you set traps for others, right? And, and then you feel like you, what's so hard, I think, for us entrepreneurs these days, when you wake up every day, you feel as if there's going to be a news flash tomorrow that says Apple cares about your business segment, right? Right. right. And I worked all my life and I did all this stuff and I didn't have this resource and I worked for three years and burned my savings and somebody could else come along and just go like that. So finding this playground where you use your know-how, right? Think about this. Where, where do you live? I'm sorry. I don't know. I'm in Pittsburgh. So if you're in Pittsburgh, right? And you, you're, you're going to go for a run on the Allegheny, right? And you're like, and I came to visit you and I said, Hey, I want to go for a jog. You'd be like, remember there's a pothole right here. Okay. So be careful. That's what I mean by when you define your playground and you define your speed limit, right? Everybody is following you. You're setting the rules. You're setting the criteria versus, Hey, I'm a PR firm and I'm going to sell the way every other PR firm sells. um, And I have a very little chance of standing out. Yeah. And I mean, this is the same thing. My, my son has a sign in his room that says something along the lines of uh, be the best version of you possible because everybody else is already taken. So the idea is don't strive to be someone else strive to be you. And in your uniqueness, that's what, that's what is kind of in some ways your, your selling point. Um, You talked about COVID and right now being in a pandemic and with all of the adversity of, is this, a good time to be an entrepreneur, a terrible time to be an entrepreneur, or is the timing not that important? It's a little bit of both. So it depends on where you are. And as you know, as unfortunately, we know way too much about this because 2008, right, is very, very similar. You know, dramatic impacts happen in a day. Um, here's what I would say. For new entrepreneurs, it's actually a great time because um, there's lots of capital. There's lots of assistance right? Things are less expensive, right? Because you can get services and rent and all these things super less expensive. So in a lot of ways, if you're starting new, right, there's lots of opportunities because you have all the support and you have a cost structure that's less, much less than it was before. For existing entrepreneurs, the challenge is, you know, you operated with $100 of revenue before and, you know, $70 of cost. And now you're operating at, you know, $50 of revenue, and you got to figure out how to get your $70 of costs down to 30. So it's hard. There's obviously support like there's been never before, some, for example, from the government. Um, and you're fundamentally having to learn how to pivot. Um, but I think the biggest thing for existing entrepreneurs is the competition, right? That yoga studio, yeah, they competed with the yoga studio 10 blocks away, but they weren't competing with Peloton. Right. And, and you get more people chasing less dollars. So I think existing businesses really have to try to find that playground and be very different. If you're just putting different sprinkles on the ice cream cone, that's what everybody else is doing. Sure. And, and so I think for existing businesses, it takes the, the wherewithal of great entrepreneurs to get from point A to point B, whereas new businesses can go in with a less lower cost structure and entry point than, than ones that exist. Yeah. And, and in some ways, because of the pandemic, you're seeing new areas of need where new businesses are, are there were needs that are exist right now that we weren't aware of before or that we weren't experiencing before. Yeah, and, of course. Yeah. You know, um, and you have companies like, and I know that Zoom is not necessarily an entrepreneur based company, but where Zoom was a peripheral company before, now it becomes an integral part of what's going on. And yeah. you're finding 
because of the nature of what's going on, there are there are new needs, new areas to be explored and new businesses. No doubt. No, yeah, no doubt there's segments that have emerged that didn't exist, but there's also segments that have gotten decimated. So it's just how that how adept we are as entrepreneurs is using our creativity to find our playgrounds. Yeah. And I'm thinking about this also that right now in the virtual sphere that we we're in, entrepreneurship is really exploding among all different types of people. Okay. Yep. Um, and so for somebody like me who has a disability becoming an entrepreneur, it's, it's the playing field's level because we're all virtual. We're all doing, you know, yep. and I'm thinking about an, a bunch of other minorities that are that are being that, that are becoming part of the entrepreneurial field, and you're doing some work specifically with um, African American entrepreneurs. Is that is that right? Can you tell me about that? Sure. Um, you know, we recently launched something called the Black Entrepreneur Initiative, which is the goal of putting uh, our platform in the hands of 100,000 Black men and women. Um, as I shared with you before, one of the core products of Lonely Entrepreneur is this platform called the Learning Community that has hundreds of learning modules and ongoing support. And what we took was we took that platform and added to it um, with the help of about 60 Black leaders throughout the country to say, what additional information do black entrepreneurs need to address the issues and opportunities that they face like pattern bias and access to capital. And so we take that platform and we go to corporations and philanthropies that are interested in having an impact on this important social issue. Uh, and they provide us a little bit of funding so that we can give this platform available uh, to, entre- to black men and women uh, for free. And our goal is a hundred thousand throughout the country. That's awesome. I, I love that you're, you're looking at, a social need, a social issue and utilizing your business. And, it, and in some ways, I mean, it's socially conscious entrepreneurship and yep. that, that is, it's entrepreneurship with a purpose. That's a, that's a cool thing to be able to do. You know, I'm, I was, I'm only interested in big things that have a couple of things to them. They have to have white space. They have to help society. They have to be good business, rewarding people for being healthy, checked all those boxes. Right. And and as I said before, after I sold that company, I wasn't really looking for the next thing. I'm not what you'd call a serial entrepreneur that you just go from the next thing. And to me, it's the idea that checks those boxes. And when somebody said to me, being an entrepreneur is really lonely, um, you know, what better way than to help wake up every day and help people with their passion and to turn it into success. And the ability to marry that to important social issues, not just empowering entrepreneurs, but helping, you know, the black community that lacks a lot of the access and resources um, you know, that, that many of us others have, um, is a really great way to wake up every day. When you're talking about the services that are offered by the lonely entrepreneur, um, it, my initial feeling was that the lonely entrepreneur was like a community where you would feel like you belonged. But I, the more we talk, the more it sounds like it's not necessarily a community. It is um, equipping you with the tools that are able to help you handle the struggle in a more powerful way. Is that a right understanding? Yeah. You know, when I, when we took a look at it and said, you know, there's all these people all over the country, like putting their heart and soul in it. And I was like, what do they need? Like, what do entrepreneurs need to have a better chance of success? And we said there were three things. One was knowledge, right? I need to know what an income statement is. I need to know what I'm doing when I freak out, <laughs> right? And everything in the middle. Two is I need tools. Like I need templates and legal agreements and what accounting vendor to pick. And finally, I need a place for ongoing support. Like I need coaching and I need a community where I can get my questions answered. So it's all of that. 
And what we're trying to do is put it in people's hands and say, regardless, like you said before, there's all different challenges at different stages, right? Somebody just has an idea. Somebody has a 15 person company, but it's never raised money, right? And everything in the middle. So we're just trying to take them and give them the resources and the guidance we can through our, but what when my whole thing was, I wanted to make sure that we could easily put in the hands of lots of people to do it at scale. And that's why we focused on, I mean, we do consulting for individual companies and stuff like that, but most of what we're trying to do is to empower the masses with our platform to have a better chance of success. I love it. I mean, it's great work and it's, it's so important and so valuable. One of the things I read about in your bio was about the four P's. Uh, can you tell us what are the four P's and, and what are those, how do those, how do those, I was going to say implicate, but how do those apply in, in business and making business decisions? You know, it's interesting. When we wrote the book, The Lonely Entrepreneur, we really wanted to delve in, especially given our 2008 experience, we really wanted to delve in what it's actually like to be an entrepreneur. I mean, we live, but what is it actually like? And we, we almost developed our own language around it. Like we used to say things like your balloon is full. So like you ever ask an entrepreneur like, hey, Michael, do you prefer Mike or Michael? And they give you a half hour on their pricing model, right? Like, like your balloon, like we had, and, and what emerged was you're like, well, what does an entrepreneur go through? And we said, wow, there's just like these four P's. And it was like passion, pressure, pleasure, and pain, right? And these are things you go through literally, not only in the same year, maybe in the same hour, right? So you have, you have passion for your, what you're doing. Like, oh, well, somebody says, well, I'm going to do meatballs. And somebody says, well, there's lots of meatballs. And you're like, yeah, but not my meatballs, right? You, you're just passionate about it. Right. You have pressure, financial pressure, job pressure, the pressure of your vision, you know, pleasure. You know, I mean, I mean signing your first customer is like your first kiss, right? It's like you, you, and then there's pain, you know, like I said before, the first time an investor doesn't like your business plan, they're like, it's like calling your baby ugly. So you, you're so implicated by these. We, we, we always used to say you were under the influence of the four P's and it makes you do some crazy stuff. Yeah. It, it makes, it makes so much sense. And listen, I, I think it's kind of my experience was, and I talked about this on a previous podcast, you know, I think I was in maybe fourth grade, but the first time that I ever realized that there was somebody that didn't like me. And it was like, how could you not like me? I'm a nice guy. Like I, I, and, and realizing the same thing applies in business where you have this concept, as you've you know, said that you're passionate about and you're all excited about it. And you see the way that it has the potential to change the world and to be a hugely impactful endeavor. And yep. you're like, how about if you join me in this? And they're like, yeah, I don't, it's not for me. And, it's devastating that yeah i'm so interesting and so when you're looking at those four p's are how do you help people with the awareness of them because as you talk about them it makes sense but how do you how do you help people to recognize those well i think it's in the context of of it's not just the four p's it's all the stuff we've been talking about right it's it's the tactical stuff you need to know, it's the strategy. I mean, there's just a lot, right? It's legitimately a lot of what you need to know. And so the four P's is just a part of it. What the four P's do at times is really influence us in the wrong way, right? If we believe, for example, we're so passionate about our idea, right? That they go and, and, and people make the wrong decisions, right? They don't take in the right feedback or see the market the way they should see it independently and stuff like that. So it's those kind of feelings about, you know, uh, that and ego and humility and all those things along the way, those are all things that are impacting us. I mean, think about the whole idea of ego, right? Any entrepreneur that's doing something really different, like 
us going to healthcare and saying you should reward people. And I'm saying we're never, not, not we haven't heard about this before, but we're never going to do this. You have to have an ego <laughs> to tell the largest industry in the country that they're going to change. Right. And at the same time, you have to have the humility, right, to be able to understand how to learn and grow as a leader. Um, you know, I was a college athlete and a M&A lawyer and a boy, and none of that screams humility, right? And sure. you, so I think that it's a, it is, it's a complicated soup. It's much more chess than checkers. But what you try to do is to take, since we've been there, as many other entrepreneurs have, but we've been there in a pretty unique circumstance, we really do take very seriously what it's like to be them. Um, and then you just try to help them understand from somebody that's been there how that stuff can really have a negative impact on the stuff they need to do to be successful. Yeah, I, just one last quick question, and that is so many of so much of what you're talking about is things that are surrounding the entrepreneur, things that are surrounding the individual, that struggle. How do you give people the tools to kind of get their eyes off of the struggle that they're experiencing and get them onto their customer and get them onto the customer's need and really build their business that way? There's certain foundational building blocks that really feel like your efforts going in the right direction. So many people wake up passionate and work really hard and don't get anywhere. Right. right. And those building blocks are partly it's what's your goal, right? To create one pizza stand is a different plan than creating pizza hut. Sure. Right. And so many people don't define that goal. Secondly is, you know, do you have a, a go-to-market strategy, right? Do you have a playground where nobody else is playing? And you got to fight to find that because if you don't find that, then you're just one of many. And then a financial plan, you know, I'm going to say this is what I'm going to do over the first three years. And these are the goals that I'm going to hit to be able to do that. And all that stuff sounds very, very, you know, like simple and cliche. Um, and in many cases, entrepreneurs don't have those things. With those things, you feel like you have a North Star, Here's my plan. Here are my goals. This is my go-to-market. That makes me feel good that I'm going to... Like when I woke up and said, rewarding people for being healthy, I knew there were all these big loyalty companies out there, but I knew we were the only one doing this. Right. But you really feel like your effort is being aligned to something that's ultimately going to... Those foundations that are going to help you win. Yeah. And yeah, you've, you've stated this and it makes a whole lot of sense. In some ways, people become entrepreneurs not because they want to have a business, but because they're, they're passionate about it. And the business side of it is something that is a struggle and it's something that the lonely entrepreneur is there for. Listen, Michael, thank you so much for sharing. Uh, you've given us a lot to think about. If people are looking to find you on the web, where, what's the easiest way? Just lonelyentrepreneur.com. You'll find everything there. And, um, you know, of course, we're the, you know, on all the social media challenges, but, uh, channels. But if you just go to lonelyentrepreneur.com, you know, everything we're talking about, our learning community is there, our Black Entrepreneur Initiative, our book. Um, and hopefully we just have a helping people have a better chance of success. Very cool. Um, I will make sure to put a link to that and to thank your you social much. media down in the show notes so that people can find you. Michael, thank you. And we are at three questions to establish your humanity. You ready for this, my friend? I'm ready. Okay. Um, what is your favorite zoo animal? Zoo animal. That's a good question. Um, I would probably say lion. Uh, any particular reason? Yeah, listen, I think just just um, kind of leading, right? Taking on the greatest challenges, sure. having the most gravitas. I mean, that appeals to me. Absolutely. What kitchen appliance do you use every day? You know, before the pandemic, I didn't cook at all, at all, despite having a big kitchen in New York City. 
Um, now, um, I would probably say blender. Okay. You're you making smoothies. I'm assuming yeah, smoothies, stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, last question. You are in New York city. Yep. Okay. Um, there are so many different ethnic neighborhoods and ethnic restaurants. And uh, what is your, I can't figure out what the, what the proper word is for this. So pardon me for not being politically correct, but what is your favorite type of foreign food or non-American food? So yeah, in New York, it's, it's unbelievable what you have, you have access to. And I eat pretty healthy. So I like things like Mediterranean Greek. I have fell in love with this African restaurant. Um, my family took a trip to South Africa a bunch of years ago. And there's just this African restaurant that's just got all different types of flavors and spices. And it's not what you typically would think of in New York. And I just wandered upon it one day okay. and it's become like my favorite place in New York city. Sure. All right. So listen, might as well, what's the name of it? So we'll, we'll put a link to that in the show notes too. Um, I actually don't even know the name of it. Cause it's like a side of the side of the whole thing. It's on 26th and 7th street. I'll send it to you, but um, right. absolutely. Send me that information and I'll make sure to include it. Michael Dermer, you are not just the lonely entrepreneur, but you are now certified officially as a smart person. Thank you so much for sharing. I appreciate it. Uh, to all my listeners, I will say th again, thank you for being here. I hope you've enjoyed this as much as I have. And I will remind you as always that when you stop learning, you stop living. Have a great day, everybody.